John, it's wonderful uh, to be with you again and to be able to share. Um, you'll notice we've introduced a blackboard into the counseling situation. I want to try to illustrate some important truth. So I'm just glad to be with you again. Well, I'm glad to be here too. I look forward to spending some time with you. So let's just share a moment of prayer. Okay. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, the wonderful truth that you've shared with us, that you've provided in our salvation, freedom, freedom from all kinds of bondage. And I pray that as I share with John today that you'll communicate that freedom to him, that he'll understand, so give him understanding as well as give to me the capacity to uh, speak truth on his level so that he can understand it and apply it in his life. And we'll give you thanks and praise in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, John, we've uh, taken time to just learn uh, something of the struggles that you've been facing some of the fears that have really been very difficult to handle, some of the guilt that you've struggled with, some temptations in some areas of your life that perhaps we need to talk about in a very down-to-earth manner. And so I would like to just spend uh, this time today talking about the enemies that God has defined in his word. And I asked you to bring your Bible, and I'm glad that you did. We really have three basic enemies. I'm sure you've heard that in church before, that uh, seek to harm us and to limit our ability to do the will of God and to walk in the freedom that our salvation provides. And each of these even though they interface and interrelate, are distinctly unique and different. And we need to look at them carefully. I like to uh, illustrate them this way. We have an external enemy, which is the world system. Then we have an internal enemy, uh, spoken of in scripture as our flesh or our sinful nature and then we have an infernal enemy which simply means a supernatural evil and this enemy is in the spirit realm of darkness it's a kingdom over which Satan rules so we're going to try to uh, gain somewhat of a overview at least of each of these enemies and how we relate to them. The first one we want to look at is the problem of our human fleshliness. This is a problem that I struggled with for many years and I find that, uh, that uh, many clients struggle with it as well as uh, uh, pastors and Christian workers. So this is a problem we all face and I'd like for you to take your Bible and let's just turn to the book of Colossians, um, chapter 3. 
It's one of the unique passages that introduces this whole subject of, um, of dealing with our flesh. And I hope that uh, we'll be able to uh, shed some light on it in a way that's going to be very helpful to you. Notice this chapter begins with some wonderful absolutes. And that's one of the things that we need to understand about emotional freedom and spiritual freedom. It always flows out of truth. Truth makes you free. And uh, truth comes from God. I'm sure you remember that Jesus Christ is the truth. And he speaks the truth. So it's good to build our life upon truth. And there's some truths that are absolute. We need to have no question about them. Because God has declared them. And they're unshakable and solid. So whenever God uh, asks us to do something, it always flows out of truth. I want you to notice that in this first verse. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Notice that's completed action. When did that happen, John? When were you raised with Christ? Uh, when I became a Christian? Yes, that's when it entered into your personal life. But actually, this goes back to a historic event. It goes way back when to When he the, died on the cross. Well, he raised from the dead. When he rose from the dead. Right. It's founded upon the absolute of Christ being risen from the dead. And his resurrection is your resurrection and mine. We entered into it when we received Christ as Savior, but uh, it's based upon the resurrection of Christ from the dead. And in light of that marvelous truth, we are able to do something. Notice what he says. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. I'm sure you've probably heard somebody say sometime in your life, He's so heavenly minded, he's no earthly good. Mm -hmm. That's a cliche you hear tossed around in Christian circles once in a while. Well, that's a completely wrong cliche. No one is ever so heavenly minded, he's no earthly good. In fact, uh, the more heavenly minded we are, the more good we will do on earth and the more peace we'll be with ourselves and with our culture and everything that's about us. So twice he says this, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. That flows directly out of the absolute, that you have been raised with Christ. It's important to remember. The second absolute is in verse 2. Set your minds, or in verse 3, for you died. Now when did you die, John? I died, uh, myself died when I became a Christian. I became a new person in Christ. Right. That's when uh, you died to uh, the rule of sin and death and Satan. That's really what it means here. Okay. And, um, uh, of course, this once again goes right back uh, to the cross and the historic reality of the death of Christ and his death was our death and it remains our responsibility to walk in that truth and to apply it 
Now he moves from uh, this statement to a marvelous thing when he says, your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Now that's a wonderfully secure place to be. And I sometimes like to illustrate it this way. Uh, John, let this represent you. And uh, think of this hand as Christ. Your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Hmm. The Heavenly Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, have hidden your life uh, with both of them. Uh, Jesus taught you, remember, he gives us eternal life and will never perish and no one can pluck you out of the Savior's hand and and also you remember that uh, he said that the Father is greater than all no one's able to pluck them out of my Father's hand so it's the same thought you see of being secure and at peace with God and with ourselves so those two absolutes uh, flow out of history but there's another absolute here that's yet future that it's just as sure as those that have also happened. Notice how he puts it. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Now that's a future event. But it's just as sure. In fact, it's even more sure than you're seated here today. And we're sharing together. Uh, that when Christ appears we'll be with him that's great truth now in light of that tremendous truth you'll notice that our text puts a responsibility upon us and uh, Paul says we're to put to death therefore whatever belongs to your earthly nature and then he begins a list of things that flow out of this fleshly or earthly nature sexual immorality impurity lust evil desires you notice all of those are moral sins now all of us have trouble with moral temptation don't we mm -hmm. it's something that we struggle with and and so he's asking us here in light of these absolutes to have victory over this to put it to death and if you're like me I have an engineer's mind and I'm always trying to figure out how does this happen, you see. And he goes on and says, um, uh, and greed, which is idolatry, that's really spiritual sin. So you have, first of all, moral sin and now spiritual sin. And then he goes on and says, because of these, the wrath of God is coming. That's another absolute. That uh, man never gets away with practicing sins of of his flesh and his sinful nature they're dealt with uh, sometimes he disciplines Christians here in this life but always God deals with the sins of the flesh then he reminds us he says you used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived what's he talking about John well, he's saying that uh, this is the way I used to live before I was a Christian. That's These right. were controlling yeah. my life. You see, the sin nature pretty much controls a non-believer totally. He's under its rule. Mm 
He's even under the rule of Satan, Ephesians uh, chapter 2 tells us. But here you'll notice, um, now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these. Now he adds to the list. And these are really social sins. You notice he speaks about anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips and lying to each other. Uh, these are all things, once again, we've experienced temptation and I'm sure a number of them you really struggle with. And in our counseling, I've, that's come out already, that you've struggled with some of these temptations. So that's one side of God's expectation in dealing with our flesh and our sinful nature is to be uh, victorious and triumphant over these sins that plague us. But the other side, you'll notice, begins there in verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy, H-O-L-Y, and dearly loved. Now, John, one of the things you've shared that you've struggled with is really believing that God loves you but you see, that's settled. That's another absolute. You are one of God's chosen people. You've received Christ as your Savior. And you are holy. Now that may seem very difficult to accept in light of the fact that you don't feel very holy at times. No. But it's an absolute, isn't it? God made you holy. Yes. Speaking about the work that your salvation has accomplished in your life, and you're dearly loved. Now in light of that, once again, we have responsibility. Notice what it is. Uh, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. That, wouldn't it be great to live that way? It would be great. And I know that's what you really want. It's what all of us want, really. Especially if you know Christ as your Savior. Not only is it enough to be rid of sin, but we want to be able to have a Christ-like life, and that's really what he's talking about. Now the question is, how does this happen? How do you rid yourself of those things, and how do you take on these That's right. Now... I'm glad you asked that because that's exactly what we need to understand. I'm going to draw a diagram here on the blackboard which I think will help get it in perspective. Remember we talked about the flesh. Um, the flesh being um, an internal enemy. That means this enemy is part of us. Something we live with. Something we struggle with. So I like to draw a circle and uh, you'll forgive it if my art is not uh, perfect but uh, that's supposed to be a circle and this is going to represent a very important truth about you that's set forth in scripture uh, the human person has um, three parts that are spoken of in scripture some people make the internal part just one but I think it for the helpfulness of understanding it's good to put it in uh, the biblical usage of the terms. We have an external part which is called our body. And uh, that's what we see 
when we look in the mirror and when we look at other people. But the real person has two internal parts. One is called our soul. And then we have a part called our spirit. Now in your soul, John, we have um, what we call the human personality. And uh, it's made up of the capacity to think and to will, to act, and to feel. That pretty much describes how we function internally. Uh, we have a mind. We have an intellect. We think with that. And then, of course, uh, we have uh, a will to act, to decide what we're going to do. And uh, so that uh, is a very important part of us. And then one of the most important that we're all very familiar with is our feelings. And you've been seeking to get in touch with your feelings as we've shared and uh, as you're a part of, of uh, this attempt to really handle your struggles. And so we'll put emotions down here. Now this is really the human personality. And uh, it's a part of the soul. Now you remember what uh, God said about uh, Adam and Eve concerning eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Something would happen to them. They would surely die. die. Now, let's look at it in light of our diagram. Did they die in their body that day? No. No, no the sentence of death perhaps entered their body, but Adam lived about 900 years after he sinned. So that's a long life. We don't know anything about that today, but that apparently was, was what happened back in the early days of man's created being. Did his soul die? Could he still think and will and feel? Yeah, he still could do those things. Right. There was a corruption that came into that part of his person. So, from my understanding, and I believe in the biblical sense, the part of man that died was this part. The part of him that was capable of knowing God and loving God and responding to God in obedience uh, the moment man sinned that part of him died now all that that entailed we really don't fully understand we know it became inactive uh, some believe it went back to God we just don't know but whatever the Bible means it died now something wonderful happened to you when you received Christ. In John chapter 3 and verse 6 uh, he told us what happened. Would you read that? John 3 and verse 6. Okay. It says flesh gives birth to flesh. Stop there John. Flesh gives birth to flesh. What's that talking about? Uh, people having babies. That's right. Procreating. Right. 
So that included what? The body, body and, and the soul. soul. Mm -hmm. Flesh gives birth to flesh. So here we have a picture of where your flesh is going to function. It's going to have a hold on you through your body and through your soul, your mind, will, and emotions. Now read the best rest of the verse. But the spirit gives birth to spirit. Isn't that great? What does the first spirit mean? Uh, the Holy Spirit. Right, it's in capital letters, isn't it? Mm -hmm. The spirit gives birth, so we'll put Holy Spirit here, gives birth to the human spirit. Because it was dead. That's right. Because it's dead. It came to life again. Okay. So because you have a reborn spirit, now you have the capacity uh, to do what that passage we looked at tells us to do. To put now, away certain things and take on other things. Right. Okay. Now, John, I'm convinced that the moment you receive Christ as your Savior, nothing needs to happen to your spirit to make you ready to enter God's presence. You're as righteous, in fact, the scripture says, we're renewed in righteousness and true holiness. Okay. So that part of you just loves the Lord, wants to be obedient to him. That's good to remember that, especially when, you know, it seems like we're living in a lot of defeat. To remember that that spirit part that God created new within us still loves the Lord and wants to be obedient to him. And I find that, don't you find that true in your own life? Mm -hmm. Even when you're in defeat? Yes. You see, that means that this part of you, your um, soul goes through a whole lifetime experience of growing in grace, being transformed, entering into the experience of sanctification. Uh, so this, uh, this goes through a lifetime experience. Now, how does that take place? Well, it takes place by inviting the Holy Spirit to control your thoughts, to help you to will to do God's will, and to have his feelings within you. Now that's your responsibility uh, to live that out. Okay. But you see, we still have that flesh to wrestle with. And we've got to understand that a little more. There are three things we really need to know about our enemies. First of all, we need a biblical definition. We need to know exactly what God says the world is, our flesh is, and who Satan and his kingdom are. Uh, that's very helpful. The second thing we need to know is how each one of these enemies is going to get at us and trouble us. That's for sure. And then the final thing, very important, what has God provided me in my salvation to overcome it? Now, we're going to look at that in just a moment in another passage of scripture. But before we come to that, I want to just kind of complete this so we have a picture of the world and the flesh and the devil. I'm going to draw another big circle here uh, around um, this circle and diagram that represents you and me. And this bigger circle represents the world. Now there are two Greek words. 
translated world. One refers to the philosophy of the age and the other refers, uh, John, to the organized system of things. Now we don't have time and I don't think it's necessary to take you into a study of that. But I just want to show you how it interrelates with your flesh. Now remember that this world is an external enemy. It seeks to press you into its mold. This is an internal enemy. It's part of you. But now I'm going to illustrate it this way with a series of arrows putting pressure on you um, to illustrate how the world system and the philosophies of the world uh, begin to try to force us to conform to what the world system wants us to do. Now, do you listen to the news? Mm -hmm. Often, about halfway through the news, the newscaster will say, and now from the world of what? Could be sports? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Entertainment, so, whatever. What does he mean? Does he mean a planet out there someplace? No. What's he talking about? The organized system. Okay. The philosophy. So you see, we've got, a, we've got. Well, let's just put it down here. Uh, the world of uh, sports. But there are many other expressions of the world. Um, for Business, example, entertainment. That's right. You've got entertainment. Uh, we have. Um, we have um, education. That's a powerful one that we all have to live with. Um, we have peer pressure. I'm sure you experienced that. Maybe we still experience it, but more as a, as a youth, a child, peer pressure. Um, this one is kind of in the same realm as entertainment, but... Uh, I think it deserves special mention. Um, uh, the world of music. That's a powerful influence. But, you know, we can, all, we can even put the world of religion. Because there is uh, very much a world of religion that um, functions as a part of this whole picture of the world system. And all of these expressions are putting pressure on us to conform. I like to think of the world, John, as the extension department of both our flesh and Satan. Because Satan's called the God of this world. Uh, he's called the Prince of the Power of the Air. But also because human beings who live under the control of their flesh um, are part of the world system, the organized structure and the philosophy, you're going to see a lot of the sins of the flesh being offered to you by the world. Okay. You see moral sin? Remember that? Uh, that was one of the... Greed. Greed no, was lust. another. Right. But uh, just think for a moment how the world provides temptation for moral sin videos, movies, television, on and on it goes. Pornography. 
So all of that you see is putting pressure on you from outside. And uh, okay. it finds appeal within you, you see. Mm -hmm. Now the problem becomes even more complex because you have to see that uh, there's an invisible system of darkness ruled over by Satan that our Bible speaks about. And uh, this is a very pervasive unseen system. Uh, real personal beings, fallen angels, we believe. And Satan, of course, was one of the very highest of all the created beings. And he led probably at least a third of the angels in rebellion against uh, God. His name was Lucifer. That's right. That was his high name, very high and honored position. Now, how are you going to fit him into this? Well, just to, I hope this is helpful. Uh, I'm just going to draw a series of wavy lines uh, through the world and on into the person. And this represents this kingdom of darkness over which the devil rules because uh, he can rule as a part of the world system. Uh, he can have influence coming at you through religion, through music. In fact, many of the, some of the leading musicians are people who are giving themselves over uh, to Satanism. He can come at you through education, entertainment. So, but he can also speak to you very personally, internally. In fact, he is so clever that he can put thoughts in our minds that we think our own thoughts. He can put uh, emotions into your feelings that we think our own emotions. And he can actually seek to control our will. And if we allow him to, he'll do it. Well, that's overwhelming. Well, how do you fight that? Yeah, that's, a, that's why we're wanting to look at this. So you would have some biblical answers. But let's go back. We want to talk, first of all, about the flesh. I think it's important to look at these enemies as they interrelate, just so you have a background. But then we're going to spend some specific time uh, looking at uh, the flesh and those three questions. What is it? And then uh, the second one, how does it tempt me? The third one, what has God provided me to have victory over it? And then we're going to also take a, another session when we'll look at Satan and uh, the world and how they come at us. Okay. Uh, let's move from that Colossians 3 passage and look at uh, Galatians chapter 5. This is probably the classic biblical passage on what God has done for us to provide us victory over our flesh. Now it's, it's many other passages like Romans, uh, Romans 6 and, uh, and certainly in that Colossians 3 passage, but this one is a beautiful, beautiful study. And let me just give you the basics. And I hope that you'll walk away from our session today with some usable tools that you'll know how to deal with your flesh. Notice what verse 1 says. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. That's a marvelous statement. Mm 
That's encouraging. It really is. It's for freedom. It's the will of God that we not be ruled by any one of these enemies. That we walk in freedom and victory over them. Notice how he says it again in verse 13. You, my brothers, were... Who are the brothers? Uh, Christians. That's right. Fellow Christians, you were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. It's never the will of God for us to indulge our sinful nature. And that's what we're really wanting to understand here and what you need help with in struggling with some of these things that are a part of your life. So you'll notice, rather serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Then he says if you keep on biting and devouring each other, that really are sins of the flesh being lived out in our families, work, wherever, even in our church. Watch out or you'll be destroyed by each other. See, that's a very present reality in many people's lives. Then he says, live by the Spirit and you'll not gratify the desires of the flesh. That's an important statement. First hint that we don't have to be ruled by our sin nature. There's a way out. But he says something here, John, very important. He says, the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit. Your sinful nature is a part of your body and your soul. It desires what is contrary to the Holy Spirit and your reborn spirit. Now that's a fact. That's another absolute that you're that's meant why, to live with. That's why I don't feel free. That's right. And one of the first steps, as we're going to see in a few moments, of getting free is just understanding that. That God says this is the way it is. Notice he goes on and states it even more strongly. The spirit, what is contrary to the sinful nature, they are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. There's a battle going on. That's what we have to live with. I don't fully understand why God planned it that way, but at least he told us, and he also provided us victory over it. Now notice what he says. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under law. And I think that's important. You see, victory over the flesh is not something that you live out just by do's and don'ts. And that's often what we do. Most of us get caught in trying to improve our flight and trying to reform it. God never intended we'd do that. Now I want to share with you the three steps. And wherever the flesh is dealt with in Scripture, John, these three steps are there uh, telling us how to overcome our flesh. Let's look at them. He says, the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Who are they obvious to, John? Uh, sexual impurity and uh, All right, but greed and stealing and lying. But to whom are they obvious? Uh, they're obvious to the person that's doing them and to other people. Okay, so, yes. So. But there's somebody else. Even they're obvious more. to God. Right. 
See, God doesn't keep secrets from us that are important. That's why he gave us this list. Not a very beautiful list, but a very necessary one to understand. In fact, I'd like to suggest to you, you memorize this list. You might say, well, why would I want to do that? Not a very pretty list. Well, no. it's very important to understand what God said about how your flesh is going to try to get at you. In fact, this really is the first step to overcoming your flesh, what I call a walk of honesty. I want you to remember that. A walk of honesty. Now, what do we mean by that? It means that you are simply in agreement with what God says about your flesh. And you'll be done, hopefully, after you really understand this from trying to reform or improve your flesh. It'll never happen until you die. So just agree with God that this is the way it is. That's right. Let's look at the list. Why don't you read it? Verses 19 through 21. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. We'll stop right there. Yes. Now, that's what God says is true about your sinful nature. And he wants you to know it. You see, when we talk about a walk of honesty, say for, let's just pick out one of these. Supposing and I happen to know this is one that you've shared with me and you struggle with. This problem of anger. Now, uh, what are you going to do when you're tempted? See, that's one of, the, one of the sins of the flesh mentioned here as well as in that Colossians passage. Here it's called fits of rage. That's anger explosively uh, manifesting itself. Now you find you're that coming on, you're tempted, something's happened to frustrate you, and your old flesh starts to want to deal with that. What are you going to do? Well, first of all, you just say to God, Lord, that old wicked sin nature you told me I have to live with is at it again. It's trying to get me to fly into a fit of rage, and I know it's wicked enough to want to do that. But the second step of victory is what you find there in verse 24. Would you read that? Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Now, that's completed action. When did that happen? We talked about it earlier. On the cross. Right. And it came into your life the moment you received Christ. Mm -hmm. Now, you see, the Christian faith is something that we live day by day. So how do you live this out? Well, you've just been honest enough to admit that anger is ruling you. But now you want to say, Lord, I affirm that I'm dead. Are you dead to the temptation? No. No. That's why God left the list there, so you'd know you could be tempted in these areas. But you're dead to the control or the rule or the necessity of giving in to your anger. So you just state it. 
is so simple. Great truth is always simple. So you say, Lord, uh, I know that I'm dead with Christ to the control, to the ruling of this temptation of anger because Christ died for me and I affirm it to be true. That's what uh, Paul said in Romans 6, 11, you remember. Reckon yourself to be dead indeed unto sin. Okay. That means to declare to be true because it is true, you see. So you're simply entering into truth by faith. It's not by works. Just like you receive Christ, you're to walk in him, you see. Now the third step to victory is to walk in the spirit. Walk of honesty, the first one. Walk of death, affirming you're dead to its rule. Now walk in the spirit. Read verse 16 again. Uh, so I say, live by the spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. All right. Now read, uh, uh, read verse 25. Since we live by the spirit, let us keep in step with the spirit. So he's talking about this Holy Spirit who lives in your spirit. Now read verses uh, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are, those are the things every one of us need, every one of us want. If you really have a heart for God, it's the desire of your heart. And it's certainly what the Spirit wants, you see. And if we're thinking right and we're growing in grace, it's what our mind, will, and emotions want. But you see, it doesn't just happen. The Holy Spirit doesn't intrude. He waits for you to invite him. And the real evidence, John, of being filled with the Spirit is when... Uh, you begin to notice, your family begins to notice, and most important, God notices that you're asking the Holy Spirit who lives in you to supplant and replace these temptations of your flesh with the fruit of his control. Now, John, I don't know how God does this, but it's a miracle of grace as you will learn to walk in honesty, and I'd like you to practice this between now and when we meet again, just walk through these. And let me just put it very practical again, using anger. Lord, that old sin nature of mine is trying to express itself in anger, and I know it's wicked enough to do it, but I affirm that I'm dead with Christ to its rule and control. And right now I'm asking the Holy Spirit who lives within me to supplant and replace that temptation with the fruit of his control. Now, John, when you do that, you're going to begin to experience a marvelous, wonderful freedom over your flesh. Now, in our next session, I'm going to ask you those three steps. Okay. And then I'm going to ask you also uh, how it's been working for you. Okay. And uh, then we're going to see how this interfaces and interrelates particularly with Satan, but even with the world system. So let's just have a word of prayer as we close. Okay. 
Dear Father in heaven, thank you for John and thank you for what you're doing in his life to free him. You purchased freedom for him and we're grateful that you provide us the instruction we need in your word to overcome that very difficult enemy uh, called our flesh our sinful nature so help John this week as he seeks to walk in victory over his flesh by being honest with himself and with you and by taking his stand in the reality of his death to the rule and control of his sin nature and then just to reach out in that relational oneness to ask the Holy Spirit to replace that temptation with this marvelous fruit of his control in Jesus name well God bless you well thank you very much and we'll meet again next week okay thank you <laughs>